in Christian thinking. The idea of the kingdom of God coming is totally present, but the idea of him ruling and reigning from a physical restored city of Jerusalem, not so much. And on the Jewish side of the aisle, the idea of a Messiah coming to rule and reign from Israel, absolutely. If you're a religious Jew, you're totally expecting the Messiah to come and to set things right and to rule with righteousness and justice. What you're not expecting, in fact, what you're flat out rejecting, is that that could be Jesus. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world and the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. One of the topics we talk about a lot that we're going to talk about again today is Israel. And probably when you hear that word, you think of varying things depending on what your background is. But today specifically, we're going to talk about Israel as the Holy Land and Israel as the Promised Land, both key terms that might trigger different definitions for you, but we're going to get into that today. But before we do that, uh, as we always do on every episode, I just want to remind you that you can support Jewish communities you may have never heard of living in some of the most remote parts of the world through this podcast. You can do that by going to our website, ajewandagentiledisgust.org, and in response to your support, you can receive a bag of coffee directly from Ethiopia, which is one of the countries we have served for 20 years. The coffee is called the Lost Tribes Coffee, and you can get more details about that on our website. If you stay tuned to the end of this podcast, you can enter for a chance to get that coffee for free. So let's discuss. Carly, jumping right in, Promised Land versus Holy Land, or I'll say Holy Land versus Promised Land. And, you know, I'll I'll set this up a little bit. So much of what we discuss on A Jew and a Gentile Discuss is issues or uh, headlines or people groups or worldviews or Bible passages where the Christian community has its understanding and it comes so far, right? It, like, it comes, comes to the aisle so far, so close, and the Jewish community has its own understanding and it comes close to the aisle, but the two never meet. There's no conversation, right? Because everybody stops just short of maybe appreciating where the other person's coming from, where uh, a meaningful dialogue can happen and both, both can have more understanding. So I think the issue of Israel, we'll say the land or the modern state, okay, uh, is one of those issues. And holy land, let's start there. So what's your understanding from a Christian perspective, from a Christian background of the land of Israel or the state of Israel? Yeah, it's interesting that you just explained, you know, that perhaps the Christian perspective and the Jewish Jewish perspective is like a Venn diagram that never meets in the middle. Right, exactly. You know, so what... What is my perspective of the Holy Land? I think I have to answer from my perspective from 10 years ago or so before I ever was sure. involved with Jewish ministry. But really, I I remember thinking back then, one of my bucket list items was to get baptized in the Jordan River, which is okay. still on my bucket list. You should do um, it. But it wasn't because of Israel mm-hmm. so much as it was, oh, the Jordan River is a place that was in the Bible where people got baptized. Mm-hmm. And my church did trips to Israel, and they would call it the Holy Land. Right. Trips to the Holy Land, you know, where Jesus walked, Mm -hmm. a place to go and visit. Right. Um, But it was, Israel is is a setting where events in the Bible took place. Um, And as a Christian, you want to go and and experience that, just like going to Washington, D.C. and seeing where 
events happened in America's history. Mm -hmm. And that's good. I think there's nothing inherently wrong with that or or part of that perspective that I would immediately say, you need to think again, Carly, you know, uh, walk where Jesus walked, totally legitimate, going to places you see in the Bible. Great. I think the challenge with that is what you said at the top of your explanation where it was on the bucket list, meaning this is something to do and to check the box and then to move on, right? right? It's almost like I want to see the Great Wall of China or I want to see Machu Picchu. I want to go to the Holy Land. This would be spiritually a meaningful experience. I'm going to go to all the places that I've always dreamt of going. My, you know, as they say, my 2D perspective of what I read in the Bible would become 3D because I'll have seen and walked in the places, you know, saw the sights, smelled the smells. It's mostly hummus and falafel or the (laughs) smells, but it's delicious smells. Anyway. Uh. Middle Eastern cooking. But then the idea is, okay, been there, done that, check. Right. And I think that might be one of the differences in a Christian perspective versus a Jewish perspective is this idea, uh, before we even talk about promised land, this idea that Israel not only is a historical reality, a historical homeland for the Jewish people, but is also a present reality most recently, you know, 70-some years ago with the reestablishment or the establishment of the modern state of Israel. And so millions of Jewish people, over 6 million, call the state of Israel, which is also on the land of Israel, uh, home today. So it's not necessarily a box to check, though a big portion of the North American Jewish community might say the same thing. They're not going to say holy land, but they'd say, I want to go to Israel. Good. I went there. I stood at the Wailing Wall, you know, I, I walked around the old city of Jerusalem, I went to the synagogues, I, you know, swam in the uh, Dead Sea, I surfed in, you know, the Mediterranean in Tel Aviv, check. Um, so there is an element of going and checking the box, but there's more than that. It's this idea of this enduring reality of a homeland. Whereas from a Christian perspective, uh, of course, Israel's where Jesus lived and died, and and resurrected and ministered in a resurrected body you know he ascended from the mount of olives like all of that's biblically uh documented but it's not it's not ever been necessarily a homeland for a christian audience and so it's more a destination rather than a home yeah and when you say promised land yeah I'm not sure I would have even known what promise you were talking about though I've heard that phrase you know Israel is the right. promised land right. but what what promise are we talking about? Sure. So we'll talk about promised land and then we'll go back to holy land because there's some politics involved in that too. And there's some nuances that we may not even think of when we use those terms as second nature, you know, uh, but they're important. So, you know, think of the movie Prince of Egypt, if you've seen that, right? Like that, that is probably one of the most widely viewed worldwide accounts of Uh, the Jewish people's exodus from Egypt under Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. And in the beginning of that movie, right, you see the the Hebrew slaves and they're singing, deliver us to the promised land. Now you understand why this isn't, you know, like a recording studio and why, you know, we're talking, not singing. Anyway, you heard it here. But this, what is the promised land? The promised land is this idea that actually in Genesis 12 and Genesis 13, God makes Abram, who becomes Abraham, Avraham, a father of many nations, a promise, and he specifies, this is through Isaac, not Ishmael. I'm going to keep my covenant forever. And actually, in Genesis, in those teens, you know, those teen chapters of, of Genesis, 
Moses receives almost this, this word of knowledge, if you will, this prophetic insight into the future from one who's described as an angel of the Lord. This is at the same time as he understands he's going to give birth to Isaac when he's 99, 100 years old. Okay? He gets the promise of this son of faith that would be a miraculous delivery. And this angel says, your descendants will actually go down to Egypt and they'll be enslaved there for four generations. And the way they count generations at that time is 100 years. And it says, but I'll bring you back to this land that I'm promising. I'm making a covenant, says the Lord, to give you this land forever. So that's the origins right there in Genesis. Before the whole story of Exodus, you know, deliverance from slavery in Egypt and parting the Red Sea and walking through is this idea of God making a promise to Abraham saying, I will bring you back here and this will be your home forever. So that's where we get this idea in Jewish thought, which remains actually part of the fabric of the modern state of Israel and its own founding documents, that this is in fact the Jewish state. This is a modern political state representation of an eternal homeland for the Jewish people. So that's where we get the idea, promised land. Would you say that a Jewish person, a secular Jewish person now, feels that same strength of importance about Israel in the way you just ex- described it? I would, and, and I think it transcends religious boundaries, right? I think when you know that your people, and that's, you know, we talk about this in another episode, is Israel a religion? Is it an ethnicity? Is it a heritage? Is it, you know, a Uh, a culture. Yes, 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 yes. It's all of those things. But when you understand that your people, whether you believe there's a God or not, your people, your literal ancestors, okay, your forefathers have dwelt in a particular place and they fought for that place and many have died defending that place. Uh, Whether or not you believe in God, there's a connection to a homeland. I think that's true in any culture, right? I mean, we, there's times, you know, when I'm, this sounds a little bit lame, but even, you know, as an American Jewish man, you know, Jewish believer in Jesus, but an American uh, Jew, when I hear the U.S. national anthem at a baseball game, right, like the land of the free and the home of the brave, there's times when I get a little, you know, as my grandma would say, verklempt, like choked up. Uh, because I'm thinking of, I I feel this connection to America as much as I do to Israel. So I think that's true in in Jewish thought as well. Regardless of uh, religious persuasion, there is a connection of Jewish people around the world to the idea of a homeland, especially because for a significant part of our history, we haven't had it. Right before 1948, 1947, when the UN voted for the uh, partitioning of Palestine, as it was called, partitioning of British Palestine into a state of Israel, the Jewish people had no homeland. And so we wandered the earth remembering what had been and wondering if it could ever be again. Yeah. Interesting, because I'm German and Polish, and I don't have such a— Str- strength connection to German. No and Poland, longing but... for bratwurst and pierogies. Oh, huh? I do have longing okay, for bratwurst. See, I knew it was in there because I'm from Wisconsin. Yeah, but no, I got it. Um, so going back to the Holy Land. Yeah. What is the issues with that title? I'll yeah. call it. So the Holy Land. What? I'll, I'll talk about what we mean that I think is good and right, and then I'll talk about what is also implied in the baggage of that name that I want to challenge, okay? So what's good and right? We're saying that this land, and some people would actually expand that to also be into Jordan, into the Petra area. There's some prophecies uh, that relate to Israel hiding in a time of persecution in the days before Jesus returns that a lot of people think could be Petra. So that's across the border, across the Jordan River, 
and the Dead Sea into Jordan. And other people may also extend that down to Mount Sinai. And there's, you know, we think of that traditionally as in the Sinai Peninsula in modern-day Egypt. There's some argument that that could be Saudi Arabia. But either way, we're talking about this land of the events of the Bible, okay? The Holy Land, because this is where God's intervention in history as recorded in the Bible actually happened on soil, which still remains to this day. And I remember as a Jewish person, you know, landing in Israel for the first time when I went in 2006. I went on this kind of humanitarian work project and then Israel tour. And I landed at Ben-Gurion Airport, which is maybe 20 miles outside Tel Aviv, okay? Uh, and I remember walking, seeing out the window of the airport as I'm walking to stamp into Israel to go through immigration. And this overwhelming reality, this is where it all happened. And for me, that was all the events of the Old Testament. And this is where Jesus walked. Like he actually, you know, set foot on this soil. Jesus would have seen the field that I'm looking at out the window of this new international airport. And so the awareness of the biblical significance of this place, I think, is good when we say Holy Land. What's not so good, or else, you know, let me not put that, you know, uh, uh, universal qualifier. What I want to challenge, Carly, in the term Holy Land is because I think it's become a very convenient way to avoid saying the word Israel. So what do I mean by that? As you know, you know, we're going to talk about this in a minute when we discuss problems in the Middle East and the land of Israel. But... Uh, a lot of people have a hard time even calling Israel Israel. A lot of Arab states will not say Israel. They'll just say the enemy. Uh, not all. Some are very friendly towards Israel, but some won't even say the word Israel because to do that is to acknowledge that something happened which is considered in a lot of uh, Muslim thought a catastrophe. It's literally called that. The day that... Uh, Jerusalem was retaken by the Israel Defense Forces in 1967 is named in Arabic the catastrophe. That's how it's called uh, because the people living in that land that we now call the Palestinian people lost preeminent authority over that land at that time. And so the uh, Israeli government since then maintains the infrastructure, they maintain the authority, they maintain military control to protect it as part of the borders of Israel, even though locally there's Palestinian control uh, at a government level. So the reason we say Holy Land is, for example, part of any good self-respecting, I'm putting quotes here, which our audience can't see because it's a podcast, right? But picture finger quotes, Holy Land tour includes, for example, a visit to Bethlehem. Uh, we know this is where Jesus was born. There's a cave there next to a YMCA, believe it or not, that actually may be the cave. You know, who can say for sure? But uh, it's, it's fabled that this was the cave where Jesus was probably born in Bethlehem. Um, I would say that's absolutely part of the land of Israel. Here's the challenge. The city of Bethlehem, like uh, a dozen or so other very specific cities in what's called the territories, or some would call the West Bank, is under Palestinian control. And because of some terrorist activities a couple decades ago and ongoing animosity of some people living in those cities today against the state of Israel, there's walls or security fences around those cities. And so the argument is if you're going to build a wall around a city, and you're not going to let people who might potentially be dangerous exit that city without a permit, then you have no business calling it the land of Israel. And because of that, we've said holy land as a very neutral way to not have to choose between saying Israel and Palestine. Now, I would say Bethlehem and Nazareth 
and uh, the West Bank or the territories are still very much a part of Israel because of the military protection that's afforded them and the infrastructure that's provided. But a lot of people would disagree with me, you know, and that's a whole other thing we won't mm -hmm. get into today, the Israel-Palestinian conflict and, you know, who has rights to the land. Uh, but that, Carly, is, is part, of the, part of the idea behind saying holy land is you don't have to commit to Israel and you don't have to say Palestine. Mm. That's, that's so interesting. I've never thought about that, that people say holy land so they don't have to say Israel, but they do acknowledge that something important happened there. Right. Huh. Yeah, I'm thinking about uh, when when I got my iPad and yeah. I, we were scrolling through and looking at the countries and right. Jerusalem right. was listed with no country associated yep. with it. But they know Jerusalem exists, but they didn't want to list right. what country it belongs to. Right. Exactly. And so Holy Land is a way for a Jewish, for, more for a Christian uh, man or woman, but I would say also perhaps even for a Jewish person. Or now, you know, with the Abraham Accords, for a Muslim person. Because Israel, Jerusalem, namely the Al-Aqsa Mosque mm -hmm. on, you know, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, is the third holiest site in Islam. So everybody can unite around saying Holy Land, right? A land that's considered as sacred in Jewish thought, in Christian thought, and then most recently in uh, Islamic thought and the, the Muslim holy book, the Quran. And it's a very easy way to uh, acknowledge deference for a place without having to call it by a politicized name. Mm -hmm. For those listening who are interested in all of the um, land masses Ezra is, paying, is talking about, we do have a podcast, I think it's from season one, where we go through and talk about like the West Bank and, and all of the different areas of Israel. If you're interested in that, check that out. Um, but one of the things you mentioned earlier that we want to talk about is, sure. is problems in the quote-unquote holy land. Sure. Um, I think from the Christian perspective, we look at Israel, and I know before I ever worked in Jewish ministry, it was just like a super vague, confusing area right. of the world, like Israel and the Middle East. Yeah, there's problems there, and we just kind of stand outside and look at them and say, oh, yeah, there's things happening. There's bombings. People are fighting. You know, it's just something right. we look from the outside and, and look at and observe and judge. I'm, I'm trying to think of an example here. And maybe let's, let's hit Hawaii uh, in terms of talking about problems of the Holy Land. But I just want to give a different example, less so than a land of such biblical importance as Israel, if you will. But think of Hawaii, right? Most of us think of Hawaii as a group of islands, part of the United States, you know, uh, for the better part of the last century, and this is a place to visit, right? It's, it's, all, it's like an adult amusement park, right? There's beaches, there's mountains, there's palm trees, there's delicious drinks served to you in coconuts, you know, like it's fantastic. But you go maybe once, maybe twice, maybe 10 times if you're, if you're fortunate, and you enjoy yourself and you leave. But yet, if you've been to Hawaii, you understand that there's uh, some people call them locals. I guess that's like the preferred term now is just call us locals or islanders is, you know, whatever. But native indigenously Hawaiian peoples who don't view the islands as a fun vacation destination, this is home. It's been home for generations. It's been home for hundreds or even thousands of years. And so the problems happening there, you know, like, let me give an example, a natural disaster, and then we'll talk about problems in the Holy Land, problems in Israel and the Middle East. If a volcano blows on one of the islands of Hawaii, for you and me, Carly, all that means is don't go now, right? Because it's not convenient. Ah, uh, there's problems there. It's not safe for me to go. I'm just going to distance myself for a while. Mm -hmm. But for somebody who has lived there 
for generations, or let's say an indigenously Hawaiian man or woman who now lives in Chicago, but her parents and her grandparents and 10 generations back all call, you know, Oahu home. If a volcano blows in Oahu, she's feeling that in a much different way. She doesn't have the option to just say, ah, I'll just avoid it for a while, or I can't believe that happened. There's that heart connection. And so I think we can all maybe relate to that if I did, you know, any kind of a decent job explaining that. Now apply that to the land of Israel, right? Uh, for most of us, when we hear about problems in the Holy Land, and this actually to some degree, I'm somewhat ashamed to say, is part of the American Jewish perspective because we have the convenience of not needing yet a Jewish homeland to go to, like so many other Jewish communities in the world that we interact with and even serve uh, have needed, right? We're not dying for our Jewish identity in the United States or Canada, uh, at least not right now. Right. And we hope it stays that way for a while. Uh, but we look at Israel, and especially even more so from a Christian perspective, and we hear the headlines, ah, there's violence, ah, there was a bombing, ah, uh, the Palestinians are shooting rockets from Gaza, ah, the IDF's doing some major military push uh, on the borders, and it's just not a good time to go to Israel. And we sort of either condemn what's going on, or we just write it off and say, I'll go later. But for the Jewish community worldwide, it's something's happening in the land that our people call home. And even more so for the Israeli community, Jewish and Arab, because there's over a million Arab Israeli citizens, okay? And for the Palestinian peoples living within the borders of the land of Israel, it's not something you hear about in the headlines, it's something you experience, right? That wall that went up that we condemn or we applaud, it's a wall in somebody's neighborhood. It keeps me from my family, it keeps me from getting to work. You know, the bombing that happened, that affects relatives. Maybe that affected my family, it's not just a, a news headline. So I think that's part of the challenge as well is uh, recognizing that whereas it's a headline or a reason to go or not go on your bucket list tour for, for the Christian community or a part of the Jewish community, not so for another part of the Jewish community who really feels that homeland connection to Israel, mm -hmm. and certainly not so for those living there. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of talked about, you know, what the Christian perspective is and yeah. how Israel is much more than just the holy land and right. what it means to... Um, someone who's Jewish, especially because they see that as their homeland, whether they live in Israel or don't live in Israel. Let's talk about the importance of Israel just in the Bible in general and in the future of Jesus returning sure. and Bible prophecy. Sure. And I think we might be able to find some common ground here as we kind of wrap up this episode, but it's going to take some work on my part and it's going to take some work on your part. So you first when you hear Israel in the future, like what, is that, what does that mean to you from a Christian perspective? I think now working in Jewish ministry, um, when I think of Israel, I think of um, Jewish people returning to their Messiah or mm -hmm. returning to their homeland, going okay. back to Israel. All right, got it. So like the regathering of the exiles yep. of Israel, if you will, or yeah. people... Um, doing what we call making Aliyah, which literally means to go up, right. to go up back to the land of Israel, to Jerusalem, or to immigrate and become citizens of the state of Israel yep. uh, from other countries. Okay, so the idea of immigration. And then what about, like, I mean, the, the main Christian, like if, if we had to headline a Christian worldview, I, I don't think it's wrong to say that one of those headlines is going to be the return of Jesus, right? How, in your own thinking, like what, what does that have to do immediately with Israel? Or what doesn't it have to do with Israel? I think 
immediately I don't think about Israel and Jesus returning mm-hmm. together. I think Jesus is going to come back and he's going to you know save the world. His right. kingdom is going to reign, all of that. Right. I don't immediately think about Israel. Okay. So it's the, the idea of him being a king is part of the worldview and the idea of him ruling and reigning, totally right. part of the hope, part of the expectation but not necessarily directly linked to Israel. Right. And I'm thinking, right, like all the all the songs we would sing in a church, you know, like your, your kingdom come, you know, and you will reign over all the earth. It doesn't say from Israel, you know, like right. we don't add that part to the lyrics. So now from a Jewish perspective, uh, since Moses, throughout the prophets, we've understood this idea that a Messiah would come, a Mashiach, it literally means an anointed one, okay? Uh, for the Jewish people, and that he would reestablish the kingdom, not only as a king over Israel, but as a king of kings. There's some Christian language, but it's first Jewish language, right? As a king of kings. And there would be this day when the entire earth would know that the God of Israel is, in fact, the God of the heavens and the earth, mm-hmm. okay? I think we, we agree, you know, uh, your perspective and my perspective, we agree. The Messiah is coming to rule and reign. But it was totally understood in Jewish thought, as it is to this day, that the Messiah would come not only to establish, to reestablish the kingdom in Israel, but that he would rule and reign from Jerusalem. Zechariah talked about it. Ezekiel talked about it. I think John from the Isle of Patmos talked about it in the book of Revelation. This idea that the Messiah, uh, the King of kings and Lord of lords, would rule and reign and that the seat of his government would be in Jerusalem. Israel. I'm thinking of Acts 1, actually, if we need some New Testament examples of kind of a first century perspective on that, right? Like Jesus dies for our sins. He dies on the cross. He's buried. He walks out of the grave as witnessed by hundreds of people three days later, okay, on what's known in Christian thought as Easter Sunday. He ministers on earth in a resurrected body for 40-something days, and then he's ready to ascend to heaven to be with the Father. And the disciples say, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, right? And we sort of gloss over that, but what are they asking? They totally understood that their messianic hope, their hope of what the Messiah would accomplish, would be to rule and reign from Jerusalem as the conquering king and the Lord over all the earth. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know when that's going to happen. That's in the Father's own authority. I'm going to give you a different kind of power in the meantime from my spirit. But uh, that was part of original... I'm not going to say Christian thought. That was part of the thinking of the first believers in Jesus, all of whom were Jewish, was the Messiah will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And I think two things have happened. One is in Christian thinking, as you said, the idea of the kingdom of God coming is totally present, but the idea of him ruling and reigning from a physical restored city of Jerusalem, not so much. And on the Jewish side of the aisle, the idea of a Messiah coming to rule and reign from Israel, absolutely. If you're a religious Jew, you're totally expecting the Messiah to come and to set things right and to rule with righteousness and justice. What you're not expecting, in fact, what you're flat out rejecting in the case of most of the world by Jewish community, is that that could be Jesus. And we're going to talk in an upcoming episode about the idea of did Jesus fail and why would the Jewish community say that? Why is he rejected as the Messiah? But that's where I think kind of rounding out this episode the Christian community needs to recognize that Jesus isn't coming in some celestial body to rule and reign 
you know, ethereal beings who are playing harps on clouds in heaven. He's coming back to an earth that he will restore and redeem and that the seat of his government will be Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And the Jewish community needs to recognize that while we needed a Messiah to die for our sins, Isaiah 53 as an example of that, we also need a Messiah who's going to come and rule and reign. And perhaps we need to look again at the life and the ministry and the words of Jesus, of Yeshua, and ask ourselves the question again, could it be that he's the one? And not just reject it, because that's what we were told we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to think that both Jewish perspective and Christian perspective agree that the Messiah will come and rule and reign from Israel. Right. They just disagree currently on who that person is. Christians right. thinking it's Jesus. Jewish people waiting for that to come. Um, The other thing that stood out when you were talking about that is if Jesus is going to reign from Israel, we better make sure that Israel still exists. Right. Because it feels like at any moment Israel may not exist. Sure. Which, you know, I'm sure Jesus will make sure it exists when he returns. But it feels like, you know, we always talk about, you know, this tiny little uh, land the size of New Jersey. Sure. And it could be gone at any moment. And yet it continues to exist. And that's where I would challenge, you know, a secular Jewish audience who says, yeah, Israel's our homeland. But I don't know uh, if God even exists. I would say, how is it our homeland again, if not but for the miraculous intervention of a living God in world history? And how will it continue to be our homeland even if all the nations of the world, Zechariah said, will be gathered together against Jerusalem because God, who keeps Israel, does not slumber and does not sleep and will defend it from her enemies, ultimately in Jesus' coming to trample unrighteousness under his feet and to march victoriously into Jerusalem. Even when it appears for our people as though all hope is lost, Mm -hmm. it's not. Yeah. That's a good example of God definitely is still existing and working there. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for listening to our audience. I hope that this was helpful in learning more about Israel. Um, we have a lot of other episodes on Israel too, so if you want more information, check those out. As we mentioned at the top of the podcast, if you want to enter for a chance to win the Lost Tribes coffee for free, you can do that at a Jew and a Gentile org. If you want to hear more episodes, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you leave us a review, that's super helpful for us to get this podcast out to more people. Um, If you have any comments, please write them in. We read all of them, and we love to read those uh, who are learning from the podcast. And any feedback you have or any questions you want us to discuss, you can submit those questions on the website as well. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another episode. This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.